Our scripture this morning is Philippians 4, 6 through 8. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything you can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. Well, thank you, Lisa. Uh, I want to thank Pastor Bob for giving me the opportunity to share with you today. Uh, he's traveling home today, and um, I got an email from him a while back that uh, normally when I speak to the congregation, he lets me choose my topic in my scripture, but he said, we're going to be right in a series uh, coming into Lent, and he says, I'd like for you to preach this last message for me, and I'm thinking, well, that's a vote of confidence that I could do that. So anyway, he sent me an email, and he told me, he says, I want you to preach on the subject today, be anxious for nothing. It's the fourth and final installment before Lent. And um, I'm going to give you a little recap of the four sermons that have gone on before. I have a handout in the bulletin. It's a white handout that you can take some notes on. I would encourage you to jot down some other scriptures. But the other thing I'd like to thank uh, people for doing is praying for me. I sent out a text last night. Now, those that I knew were praying for me did not get this text. But I sent it to about 30 or 40 people, and I basically told them that uh, the pastor had given me the opportunity to lead in corporate worship today and to preach for him, and that I needed it to be directed and led and empowered by the Holy Spirit. And I got so many encouraging things back. I got phone calls from that. I got text prayers and just text responses that says, we're praying for you. One guy in the first service told me that... um, He had graduated from VSDB, and he says, I have a lot of friends that graduated from VSDB. They go all the way down to Virginia Beach, up through Richmond, and he said, I sent a text out to them. Uh, I guess it was on his Facebook page, and he says, they're all praying for you. Another lady told me that uh, she had texted somebody in California who was a pastor, and they said, well, tell him I'll be praying for him. So uh, with my preparation and the prayer, if it falls flat, I tell my tell you what I tell my Sunday school class. If it's good, it's God. If it's bad, it's Chad. So there you go. So hopefully it'll be good today. Um, so anyway, the first sermon that we had, uh, there's a bulletin insert in there. And uh, I thought of it, the first sermon that we had was, do you want to be a star? And all of these came out of the book of Philippians. It says, do you want to be a star? And the key is, we need to be humble with the message that we have, but we need to be taking this to the world around us. We need to shine as lights in the firmament. And I thought of two things. Now, the pastor, uh, when he preached these, didn't bring any of these out, but he used other great ones. The first one was that Jesus uh, said in the Gospel of John, there were eight I am statements. He says, I am the good shepherd. I am the door. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he also said, I am the light of the world. But when he left this world... He passed the baton on that one to us, and he says, you're the light of the world. You are the light of the world. And I thought, okay, he's the light of the world. Now that he's in heaven, he's given us that mission as emissaries of his grace to be light in the world. And then I came across another 
passage that was really important to me. This came out of Daniel 12, 13. Now listen to this verse talking about, do you want to be a star? Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament. And those who turn many to righteousness, catching them, reaching them, relating them to righteousness, will be like the stars that shine forever and ever. If you look at our church mission statement on the front of the bulletin, it says that we are designed to reach people where they are, and all of them aren't Christians, to relate them to Jesus Christ, to equip them to boldly proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, and to all go forth with a holy boldness. And I thought that was really great. So the first message was, do you want to be a star? The second one was, don't let your past define you. And, of course, uh, the Apostle Paul is writing this letter uh, to the church in Philippi. He actually founded that church in Philippi, and he loved these people. He was writing it from a prison in Rome. Do you think there would be any anxiety involved in that? I think there would be, in prison in Rome, but writing this love letter to the church. So basically, he had a dramatic conversion on the road to Damascus. You'll recall that he was riding on the road to Damascus, ready to breathe out fire and threatenings against the church and persecute and even kill believers. And all of a sudden, there was a light from heaven, knocked him off his horse. And he looked up, and it says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And why do you kick against the goats? And he says, who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus who you're persecuting. And so he sent him into a city, and uh, Brother Ananias came, the, the scales fell off of his eyes, and he became a different person. And basically, his focus, like ours, was to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. He made a comment one time, God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of Jesus Christ. And it brought me to the second verse I ever memorized as a young guy. The first one was John 3.16, and probably a lot of us memorized that. But this was out of Galatians 2.20, where it says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of him who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus Christ gave himself for us through the cross of Calvary. So we have a new focus and a new mission because of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that made me think of a song. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. And then it says, clothed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. That's an amazing concept. We are sinners saved by grace, and yet we can stand before the throne of God and know that we are saved by his grace. And when he looks at us, he doesn't really see the sin. He sees the penalty and payment that his son paid for us. And we are clothed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. The third one was going on a fruit diet. And I thought to myself, now, what's he going to say about this? But the passage out of Galatians actually wound up with saying, uh, talked about the fruit of righteousness. And then it led us back to, uh, he also mentioned the fruit of the Spirit. And here's what it says. This came out of Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. And I thought, well, that's really good. I mean, if we're thinking about being anxious, if we can concentrate on those things and remember that that is a singular fruit, it's not like you can pick an apple and say, okay, this is love and this one's joy. They're all connected. And as believers, we have every single one of these things at our disposal. 
So that brings us to the message for today, which is be anxious for nothing, which comes out of Philippians 4, 6 through 8. And thank you for reading that, Lisa. I love that passage of Scripture. You'll notice on the front of your bulletin there's a picture. I picked this picture from high school class. Mrs. McRae is our class. And I can remember seeing this picture. It's by a guy named Edvard Munch, and it's called A Stream. And I thought to myself, you know what? There's a lot of anxious people in the world today, are there not? Is there anybody here that in the last month has not faced anxiety? I want you to raise your hand. No, because we all do. It's interesting because I love Jim Cimbala at the Brooklyn Tabernacle. And uh, he made a comment the other day. He was preaching a series on uh, worry. And he says, you know, worry is sin. And I thought to myself, maybe it is if it gets the best of us. But it's part of the human plight and condition, isn't it? We all worry about things. And I started thinking, well, what are some of the things that we worry about? And that's a rhetorical question. I don't expect your answer. I've got a whole list of things here that I'm going to share with you. But here are some of the things that I wrote down, and you may have others that you could add to your list. How about our health? I was talking to a gentleman in here uh, this morning, and I said, it's good to see you. How's your wife? And he said, we both still have our health. So that was the first thing out of his mouth. And I thought, you know what, we're interested in that. So we diet, we eat right, we try to exercise, all of those things that will enhance our health. How about financial security? Yeah, we worry about that too. How about relationships? How many of you in here have ever had children or grandchildren that you worried about and you thought, I wonder how they're going to go when they get out into the world? I've got colleagues at Grace Christian School that have children now that are in college Virginia Tech and different places, and they worry all of the time about what they're exposed to. So relationships, family, neighbors, co-workers. How about the economy? We worry about the economy. Will the economy still continue to do well? We worry about our homes and cars and technology. Now, this is a funny story. I teach a class in personal finance at Grace Christian School, and we go through a budget scenario. And uh, I tell the kids that they have to pick a telephone. And, of course, they're not interested in a home phone. They want a phone that's a a thing, uh, something that they can carry with them. And they want something that has unlimited text, talk, and data. And I agree with that. And so I was telling them about my phone. And so they were picking phones that were $80, $90. And I said, well, I get mine for $45 a month. And they looked at me and says, "Um, how many gigs do you have on yours? And I said, well, it's a Samsung. I said, I don't really know. So they researched my phone, and it has 8 gigs of data. And that is so small, they were looking at phones that had a 100 and more on it. And I thought, well, that's the reason I can't add any of these other apps to them. But we all worry about technology. Somebody gets a new phone and you look at it and say, well, gee whiz, how can I get one that's uh, better than that? Uh, We worry about things like the coronavirus. Will that come to the United States or some Japanese ship that's quarantined in the middle of an ocean that can't get back on board because uh, on shore because of the coronavirus? We worry about the upcoming elections, and we worry about the environment. You know, the Bible has a lot of examples on anxiety, and two that popped into my mind for the Old Testament were the story of Moses. Now, can you imagine a guy that's just out tending a herd of sheep at night and sees a burning bush, goes over to see what the story is, and all of a sudden the very God of heaven speaks to him and says, I want you to go down to Egypt and let my people go. And he says, wait a minute. I remember being in Egypt 40 years ago when I killed a guy and had to run for my life. You want me to do that? Think there was any anxiety there? Probably just a little bit, I would say there was. How about Queen Esther, who was um, 
told by Mordecai that she needed to go into the king and make him aware of what was going on and that the Jewish people were going to be exterminated. And she says, I haven't been invited. Now, to be able to go into the king, you had to either have a personal invitation or when you came in, he had to extend a golden scepter. And if you didn't, you were taken out and beheaded. So basically, she says, okay, I want you to get everybody together and pray for me. And her comment to him was, if I perish, I perish. And he told her, he says, you may have been raised up as the the queen for such a time as this. Think there was a little stress there? I'd say there probably was. Okay, so then I wanted to share with you two examples that came out of Scripture. Now, I love these examples because it shows that God is interested in the very ordinary things of our life. He is interested in the anxiety that those things cause. And so they're both from the life of uh, Mary and Martha. And the first one comes out of Luke uh, chapter 10, verse 38 through 42. And I think I might have put that in there. Okay, how many of you ladies, when somebody's coming to your house, are interested in how it looks? Is there anybody that's not? Because I am. My sister came up this weekend. And uh, so she was coming from North Carolina. Now, I'm a guy who lives alone. And if you came to my house unannounced on any given day and walked into my living room, you would think somebody had lobbed a hand grenade in there. And it had gone off because it's just not real neat and orderly. But when she was coming, I wanted it to look right. And I told her that. I said, I want it to look right when you come. So I'm vacuuming and dusting and doing all of the things. And she said, oh, don't do that on my account. And I'm thinking, I'm going to do that on your account because you're important to me and I want it to look right. So she walks in and she says, it looks so nice. And I went, (laughs) but anyway, you know how it is. Okay, so I'm going to read you an account of a very ordinary, silly little thing as far as the world would be concerned, but something that really struck Jesus. And it's the account of when he comes to Mary and Martha's house. And Martha is worried about sprucing things up and taking care of things. And Mary is worried about being at the feet of Jesus. So this comes out of Luke 10. Uh, 38 through 42, and the heading in my Bible is Mary and Martha worship and serve. Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village in a certain woman's house named Martha who welcomed him into her house. And she said she had a sister called Mary who sat at the feet of Jesus and heard his words. Now Martha was distracted with much serving and she approached Jesus and said, Lord, Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And here's what Jesus said. Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen the good part that will not be taken from her. So I think even in the mundane things of life, we need to have our focus on the King of kings and Lord of lords because we can be anxious for little or nothing things that really don't matter in the world, and he wants our focus on him. Okay, the second one comes from John chapter 11. It's the death of their brother Lazarus. And uh, I wanted to just read this passage. I had to actually photocopy this because it's a fairly lengthy uh, passage. I don't want to read it all to you, but it's about the, the death of Lazarus. He's sick, and they're calling for Jesus to come because they know that he is the healer. So it says, Lazarus was sick, and the sisters... Mary and Martha sent word to Jesus and said, Lord, the one whom you love is sick. Now, this is a big deal, right? I mean, if you think somebody's going to die, that's a lot bigger than cleaning your house. Okay, so this is a big deal. 
He heard that Lazarus was sick, and he stayed where he was for two more days. Then he said to the disciples, let us go up to Judea. And he talked about uh, Lazarus being asleep. And they said, well, hey, if this guy's asleep, he's going to wake up. And then Jesus said to them, Lazarus is dead. He told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And he says, and for your sakes, now these are the 12 intimate guys that were traveling with him all the time. He says, and for your sakes, I'm glad I was not there, that you may believe. Let us go up to him. So then he comes in, and Martha and Mary get involved in the conversation. And they said, if you had only been here, this guy would have lived. And Jesus looks at him, and he says one of the other great I am statements in the Gospel of John. I am the resurrection and the life. And so Martha said, yes, Lord, says, I believe that you are the Messiah, the son of the one who lives and came into the world. And then she went back and called her sister Mary. Okay, so Mary comes out and it's almost the same conversation. Mary reached Jesus and she said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And this is the interesting thing to me. She began to weep. I get choked up when I think about this. The shortest verse in the Bible comes right after that. It says, and Jesus wept. Do you think he wasn't concerned about their anxiety? I think he was, big time. It says, and Jesus wept for them. Okay, so then he says, take me out to where he's buried. So they go out to where he's buried, and he says, remove the stone. And this is another huge lesson right here. They said, well, Lord, he's been dead for four days. By this time, he stinks. He says, remove the stone. And if it had not been for their act of obedience, this miracle would have never happened. They removed the stone, and Jesus cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth, and he came out. The man that was dead came out. His feet and body were wrapped in strips of linen, the cloth around his face. And he says, release him and let him go. So whether it's a big issue or a little issue, if there's anxiety, Jesus cares. I want to read a passage. Uh, actually, this is an old hymn that uh, is called, Does Jesus Care? And the interesting thing for me about this hymn was it was written in 1901. So that's 120 years ago by a guy named Frank Graff. He was a minister in the Philadelphia Conference of the Methodist Episcopal Church. Now, the Methodist Church has gone through many iterations and changes over time. We're probably facing some others that will be huge in the near term. You know, the church is still going to be the church. We're going to be the body of Christ. But here's what Francis Graff said in this uh, beautiful old hymn, Does Jesus Care? I'm going to read four verses, and then I'm going to read the refrain for it. The first one has to do with when our heart is pained. The second one has to do if our way is dark and we can't see ahead. The third one is if you've tried and failed. And the fourth one is when you've said goodbye to a loved one. And I know that there's at least one guy in here, my friend Frank, who lost a wife two weeks ago on the 6th. And so this verse would be for you, Frank. Does Jesus care when my heart is pained too deeply for mirth or song? As the burdens press and the cares distress and the way grows weary and long. The second verse. Does Jesus care when my way is dark with the nameless dead and fear? As the daylight fades and the deep night shades, does Jesus care enough to be near? The third verse. Does Jesus care when I've tried and failed to resist some temptation strong when for my deep grief there is no relief through all my tears flow all night long? In the last verse, does Jesus care when I've said goodbye to the dearest on earth to me and my sad heart aches 
till it nearly breaks. Is it aught to him? Does he care for me? Okay, this is the conclusion in the refrain. Oh, yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary and the long nights dreary, I know my Savior cares. Now, that's good news. That is good news. Okay, then in verse 6, it talks about prayer and supplication. Uh, supplication. And uh, I remember a, a preacher one time was talking about an older lady in his congregation, and she was over there just praying. He says, somebody says, well, what's she doing over there? And he said, well, she's just supplicating. So, <laughs> so she's supplicating. But I want to go back and just read a little passage out of this about uh, the prayer and supplication. Okay, this comes out of our, our passage for today. And it says, um, I'm just going to read this whole thing again. It says, um, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And I thought, you know what? It's important that we take even the anxieties of every day to the Lord and say, Lord, this is making me anxious. Help me with it. And he will help us with it. He's promised to. There's another great passage out of 1 Peter 5, 7. that says, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. Cast all of your cares upon him for he cares for you. And then there were two more verses that I wanted to share about the peace of God. And these were just uh, precious little thoughts to me. The first one comes out of John 14, verse 27. Jesus is telling his disciples, he says, My peace I live with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. When you walk out of here this morning and you go into your job this next week, do you think the peace that the world is going to give you is like the peace that Jesus Christ will give you? There's not a chance. He will give you the peace that you really need. The second one comes two chapters later in John 16, verse 33. And here's what it says. These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Bring your burden to me. I have the peace that you need. So basically, uh, a parting thought is on one of the scriptures that we have at the very end, and it kind of goes along with the fruit of the Spirit. But this is an interesting thing. He says, finally, brethren, he's talking to the church. He says, as I close out this love letter to you, I'm going to give you one final thought that will help take your mind off the anxiety of the world. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be anything praiseworthy in any of them, meditate on these things. And I think that's a good parting word for us. Okay, I want to go back to the, uh, there's a little thing in here. It says the us versus them. And I'm going to go back one chapter in the book of Philippians and talk about um, who he's writing this letter to. But there's a whole other community that's outside of the fold of faith. Do you all believe that? Do you believe that some of us are in the fold of faith and some of us are out of the fold of faith? Well, hopefully you do because that's the way it is. And so he makes the comment to them about their citizenship in heaven. He says, brethren, join in following my example. Now, Paul has tried to set a good example for them. And note that those 
uh, those also who walk, that you have a pattern. And then he makes a comment about the others. He said, for many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you with weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. This beautiful cross medley that they sang this morning. If it weren't for the cross, there wouldn't be one of us in here uh, in corporate worship. It is the essence of who we are and why we're here. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the mission that we have. So I was thinking corporate worship is critical for us. We're family. We need each other. We need the fellowship and the encouragement of one another. We need to be together in his presence and hear from his word, the Bible. So for some of us, it's a good reminder to say, yeah, I need to cast my care and anxiety on him. And then for others, there may be some in an audience this size between this one and the first service who may be seekers. And maybe you've been searching for years, years and years, and never really found the answer that lies in Jesus Christ. And personally, I was 28 years old when I gave my heart and life to him. Now, I was raised in a Christian home, a Christian family, but for the first 28 years, it was all about me and doing it my way. And then I came to face to face with the Savior who loved me and died for me. And I said, you know what? This is the answer to everything I've been searching for my whole life long. And I remember asking my mother about it years later. Um, I grew up in a Presbyterian church, and I said, I don't remember hearing the gospel message. And she said, you just heard it. You just weren't ready to receive it at the time. And maybe that partly that's the truth. But maybe you're here today and you've been searching for years and you felt a tug from God about the life that he has for you, uh, the fact that Jesus has paid the way. When he says, I am the way, the truth, the life, no one comes to the Father but by me. He's not kidding. We need him. And you can't just make the decision to say, I think I'll be a Christian. The Bible says clearly he has to sweep across your heart through the ministry of the Holy Spirit and draw you into the fold of faith. But if you felt that tug today, there's a chance that he's inviting you to be his child if you've never been before. He can meet all of your needs. He meets all of my needs. He can give you abundance for life here and heaven for eternity. So don't refuse him. If you seek him, he is the one that will lead you. So remember, throughout Lent, to be thankful for Christ's completed work on the cross of Calvary. Immerse yourself in his word. Pastor Bob, two weeks ago, was preaching a sermon. And, uh, you know, a lot of people will give up something for Lent. Has anybody in here made an idea of what you'd like to give up for Lent? Let me rephrase the question. Has anybody in here made an idea of what you'd like to give up for Lent? Help me. Okay, soda. Okay. Well, here's what Pastor Bob said, and you may or may not remember this. I wrote it down because I thought it was significant. He said, get off Facebook and face the book. Get off of Facebook and face the book. Wouldn't that be a good word for us today? His mission, the Great Commission, is to reflect his light, to get away from your past. Don't worry about your past. You can't do anything about it anyway. To remember that the conversion experience in Christ makes you a new creature. You are a new creature in Christ, and we have a mission to share with the world. Focus on the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness. Against those things, there is no, no such law. And basically, the world is clamoring to see those, but they're not going to see them in corporate America. They will see them in the life of the believer. And when anxiety comes, and it will, it'll come for me, it'll come for you in the next week or two, 
we're all going to be faced with anxiety to turn it over to Jesus and say, I'm casting all my cares upon you because you care for me. And the peace that passes all understanding will at least for that moment come in and encourage us and build our hearts. So let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be in corporate worship this morning. Lord, we need the church. We need each other. We need the family. And Lord, we need the ministry of the Holy Spirit to sweep fresh across our hearts and that we would be more encouraged in our life with you than we've ever been before. Give us the holy boldness to go into the world this week and to be the shining lights that you've called us to be, to burn as stars in the firmament and share the good news of Jesus Christ and to give you every bit of the praise and the glory for anything you would accomplish through our meager, humble, and sinful selves. So we ask this all in the precious and powerful name of Christ and for his sake. Amen.